1: Celtics fans, and welcome to this post trade deadline edition of Celtics feed on CLNS radio. I'm your host, Rich Conti, and I'll be joined shortly by my co host, Dr. Andre Snelling from RotoWire. A bit later in the show, Andre and I will welcome our guest, the host of Celtics Pre-Game live and Comcast Sportsnet's Kyle Draper. Before we do that, we'll spend some time talking about the events and, I guess, more importantly, the uh, non events of the past week. Thursday afternoon, the NBA trade deadline passed. And despite a frantic couple of days of chatter by the NBA media media about virtually everyone on the Celtics roster, that roster is exactly the same as it was prior to the deadline. The Bard himself, William Shakespeare, once wrote, It is a tale told by idiots, full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And that aptly describes the way many Celtics fans were left feeling about the media coverage leading up to the deadline, especially as it relates to the Celtics. Hey, Andre, a lot of talk leading up to the deadline, but it was just that, all talk and no action. Has the media coverage of the deadline gotten out of hand?
0: Yeah, I would say it's a little bit over the top, but, um, you know, the way the media is set up these days, it really wants to be first. it's, It's so important to be first, and in order to be first, that means you have to start before it happens. And I think um, the line between reporting the news and making the news sometimes blurred, and I think that's what the coverage of the trade deadline has become. You know, there was there, there was really no smoke before this trade deadline. There were names. I mean, you heard, obviously, around here we heard Rajon Rondo mentioned it a lot. We heard Pau Gasol mentioned. But even the, the, the teams and players involved were – we're kind of like, well, we're not really trying to do anything. I mean, yeah, if we're blown away, but we're not trying to do anything. But the media had to have something, and so every, you know, coming into every every segment, it was, will Paul be traded? Will Rajon Rondo be playing for the Knicks? And 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 there was nothing there, but they had to force it to be there. You know, at least they perceived that they did or, you know, ratings or, or whatever they wanted to get out of it. So so yeah, I think I think the, the the coverage was more over the top than was warranted this year because there just really wasn't a lot of there there.
1: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. You know, the stakes get, seem to get raised every season, and that line between reporting the news and the making the, the news gets finer and finer. And, you know, obviously there's an element of it where, you know, GMs and teams use the media in some cases to to try and create leverage. And, you know, the media, uh, you know, I would imagine is, is pretty uh, willingly complicit in that because uh, they get something out of the deal. But, you know, it, I find it interesting how the, the, the choice of language sometimes, you know, kind of paints a picture that uh Fans going or, or jump to or some wrong or makes it easy for fans to jump to conclusions. You know, for using phrases like you know, team A or the Celtics are, are are shopping somebody like Rondo, when you know, the reality is GM Danny Ainge's job in large part is to understand the value of every player on his roster. And so you know, you kind of you know, get to these uh, these reports that use certain terms like shopping or the asking price for Rondo was was two first round picks, and I you know, I don't know that that really paints an accurate picture of what's going on. Can I, how, how do you perceive it?
0: Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And, you know, um, as we'll be talking more about with our guest later, um, I was watching Danny Ainge, listening to some of his interviews, and he was really making some good points as far as, um, you know, the perception for the public is that nothing happened at the trade deadline because no big names were moved. But he was talking about how From his point of view a lot happened at the trade deadline there was a lot of you know discussions and and you know i'm sure asking prices going back and forth and and really just kind of painting a full picture for the gms of the values of their different players and 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 who needs what and and really just kind of setting the informational stage for what they need to make things happen and you know he was saying so there was a lot of action but not a lot came to fruition now but um, you know, it's th- th- this isn't a sprint, especially for the Celtics. You know, the, the the rebuild plan wasn't to rebuild on the fly and and get to the postseason and make some noise this year. This is a two, one-two, possibly three-year plan, and so um, I think what you were describing about well is two first-rounders. Uh, a accurate asking price for Rondo, I think it's a fluid situation, and that maybe some of the conversations they had at this trade deadline helps to set <clears throat> set the stage um for what might be to come
1: yeah I like the uh, marathon analogy because I think they're well you know hopefully it's not a marathon, hopefully it's more like a five k or a ten k but, <laughs> but 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 I, I you know I think there is a lot of impatience you know that kind of gets built up leading into the the, the trading deadline. I think a lot of fans, like you said, you know're kind of struck by a, a lack of activity and gee, what are they doing? but I like the way you put that about you know kind of setting the stage for what might happen down the road and you know I've been pretty vocal in saying that uh, the Celtics and Ainge are, are operating from a position of strength they've got to Ton of assets. Uh, they're not necessarily in a hurry right now to move any of those assets. And kind of given that, I think it makes a lot of sense for, for Ainge to be really aggressive at a time like the trade deadline in engaging other teams in those those discussions about, you know, really aimed at f- figuring out just how much his players are worth because, you know, there's nothing like really get you know, nothing like the duress of, you know, a, a team that's really struggling to, and feels like they have to make the playoffs and, you know, the impact that that duress uh, has on on what they're willing to do. And and I think that's when you're able to get really kind of the best gauge of, of what you might have on hand and how other people value it. When these teams are feeling pressure to make a move, to kind of engage them at that time as a way of, of seeing, Hey, what are these guys really worth? So that when you go into the summer, you've got, you know, that information that you need to go and kind of make some informed choices and kind of build uh you know, build a plan. Um, you know, we talked about the the you know general lack of activity, you know, what are the things that I think that, that you think can contribute to the really just the general lack of movement that was at the trade deadline this year?
0: Yeah, there's you know I, I think there's probably multiple causes, um, but one of the obvious places to look and, and something I've heard a, a few people mention is the new CBA. You know everything is so punitive now for like used to in, in the NBA anyway. Um, a lot of times, trades weren't necessarily made talent for talent. They were made okay. This team is going for it now versus this other team is selling now, trying to get under the cap. Well, the the new CBA with the the luxury tax that escalates, you know, the repeat offender tax that escalates into just the absurdity. It really makes it much harder for teams to say. Okay, forget it. We're just going to go for it. Give me that bad contract guy, and, and you know, maybe he'll make our team good enough for it to be worth it. Um, we saw that happen in the offseason with the Brooklyn Nets saying, you know, forget it, I'm a billionaire. My, my team value has, you know, quadrupled or quintupled or whatever it had done in the last few years. I'm just going to go for it. So the Nets went for it then. But there aren't a lot of teams in that position, and especially, you know, at this point in the season where – you know, in the off season, everyone can feel like, "Hey, if I make this move, then we're going to be champions." But if you're 50 games in and you're looking at your team, you know, you're not just going to be like, you know, if, if your team is on a 45, 50 win pace, you're not just, uh, you know, uh, Evan Turner away from from winning a championship. So th- those two things combined, I think, made it such that in order for a trade to be made, it had to really be of value to the team that was bringing them in. And I don't think there were a lot of – the supply was low as well. You know, um, Gasol – I've talked now about Gasol and, and Rondo, and I keep mentioning them because they were kind of the two names that I heard the most often. But, you know, Rondo's coming off a knee surgery, and, frankly, Boston doesn't seem to want to trade him. And Gasol is older and had injury issues himself the last few years. And there just wasn't a lot else. And and um maybe one of the other uh ramifications from the CBA is that the contract links are shorter now, which means that the, the the good players are always that much closer to free agency. So maybe teams don't feel like they have to try to trade. Maybe they can they say, Okay, well maybe we can wait on this guy in free agency and see if we can get him then. Um and of course, you know, this has been a much hyped draft. That some now we're feeling might be overhyped, but yet and still, um, that being on the horizon is another potential way to, to get talent. Might also slow things down this uh, this deadline.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Devin Turner, and while there was a handful of uh, more minor deals that involved kind of fringe playoff teams, kind of sh- shuffling deck chairs, I guess, uh, the, ol- the only real deal of any consequence, if you can even call it that, was the deal that sent Turner to the uh, the Pacers. Uh, what do you think that trade does for their playoff chances?
0: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. There, there's two takes on it. The one take is, you know, oh, I guess the two takes are talent versus fit. You know the the idea was that um, the Pacers, more than most of the really good teams, were built on chemistry. Were built on hey, we've come up through the wars together, and we've really built this thing, and we trust each other. And um, I mean, I, I saw them arguing about it on PTI this week. <laughs> you know, did did the fact that they just traded the longest tenured pacer for this new guy? Might that disrupt their chemistry? Um, so that that's kind of one angle. The other angle is that at this stage of their careers and health, Turner is just better than Granger. You know, Granger. Um, he, I mean, he's he's just had too many successive injuries over repeated years to be what he used to be. And so um, perhaps you know. Uh, Indiana adding talent, and adding talent on the wing when, honestly, to get out of the East, you know you're going to have to go through Miami, and so you're going to have to face LeBron and Wade and, and and have players that not only have the mindset to be willing to go up against them, but just have the physical ability to do it, um, And and Evan Turner is one of those guys. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the youth. So perhaps this gives them another weapon in the arsenal, um, gives them a little bit more depth. I don't think it was like a game changer, like, okay, oh, they got Evan Turner. Now this means Miami better look out. You know, I I don't feel that way about it, but, um, you know, I I feel like it was an incremental deal. They felt like they were already right there, and so – Maybe this increment is able to get them that much closer to to where they they want to be in the postseason.
1: Yeah, I have to wonder if the deal for their their playoff chances, particularly against Miami, this season, because you know for all the regression in his career that the Grangers seen over the past couple of years, as you mentioned, primarily due to injury. Uh, you know, I, I like the idea of him trying to guard a, a LeBron James more than Evan Turner. I just you know feel like Turner, you know, as would many button league would be you know overmatched uh, by a LeBron James where. You know, Granger seems to have that, that toughness, that that competitive uh, attitude, and, and frankly more size to him that I think you know, he, he'll be provide a little bit more resistance than Turner will. You know, on the flip side, you know, I wonder, as I said, if the deal isn't made for the future, Granger's contract expired at the end of the year, and now Larry Bird's brought in another potential young asset, you know, that can kind of grow with that team. You know, uh, Turner's uh, contract is up at the end of the year as well, but at least this way uh, – uh, you know, the the Pacers have a shot at, at, at signing him using his bird rights, and, you know, that might be a deal that they're kind of lo- actually looking more two, three years down the road than, than they're actually looking, you know, to this, this May and June. So, you know, we'll see how that pans out, but turning back to the Celtics, um, you know, if you could pick one guy that most surprises you to still be wearing green, uh, who would that
2: be?
0: It's interesting. I, I would actually, uh, for that one guy, I would give him two names, um, so I don't know if I want to call it Brandon Humphreys or uh, Chris Bass, but I really, since the season began, I really thought that one or the other of them would be moved um, because they're useful veterans on in a situation that on the surface doesn't require useful veterans. Um, and, I mean, I guess obviously Gerald Wallace is another name that I would have thought the Celtics would have wanted to move, but I, I didn't think they would just because I didn't think there was a market for him. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you know, both Bass and, and Humphreys I felt like were, you know, they're they, they productive players and, and guys that could fit on, on to solid teams. But um, a, another, again, referring back to those um, interviews uh, with, with Danny Ainge that, that I've been watching um, – Another interesting point that he brought up was that, and maybe this was spin, but, <laughs> but that, that, you know, both Humphreys and Bass are, they're essentially teachers slash coaches slash big brothers for Sellinger and Olenek. And, you know, he was pointing out that both Humphreys and Bass are not essentially prototype, um, you know, uber-physical guys that you just, you know, that are just getting by on talent. They're both, you know, professional lunch pail guys that had to work to go from where they were drafted or where they came into the league into the position where they they've started and produced and and that you know it's good for them to be on the roster for Sullinger and Olynyk to learn essentially what it takes to be a, a professional. The Sullinger and Olynyk have more talent, but they have to to learn to be professional. And you know that was an argument I used to always make. Um, for keeping Garnett and Pierce before the trade was that they, they could kind of help to create a culture of, of, of success, even as their physical tools started to wane. So, um, so I guess I, I, I say that coming in, I thought that Humphreys and Bass would be moved, but I, I can buy that enough as an argument to feel like, you know what, maybe there wasn't a huge push to get them off the roster, especially, as you mentioned earlier, in the face of the fact that the Celtics already have a lot of the young players and upcoming draft picks that you would normally expect to trade uh, veterans for anyway.
1: Humphrey surprises me the most. Uh, you know, and I think the fact that he wasn't moved shows just how little opportunity there was, really, for, for Danny Ainge to significantly improve the team. And then the reason I say that Humphrey surprises me the most is, you know, him being a pretty sizable expiring contract. Um, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big asset, uh, not just, you know, in terms of helping another team free up a, a you know some, some salary cap down the road, um, but more so in the Celtics' case that help facilitate a larger deal, you know, having that that $12 million expiring could be a key component in in a deal to bring in a guy who's on a similar size contract where a team is looking to, you know, maybe move on from a guy, pick up a couple of young assets uh, in the process, um, and not, you know, take on, you know, additional salary, and so, you know, the fact that Ainge wasn't able to move Humphreys in a a deal like that, uh, when, you know, that's the one Area where I, you know, I felt like you know maybe there would be some urgency on the Celtics part to to make a deal. Just really shows you how little opportunity there was to to, to really make a substantial move.
0: No, that's a good point, and and I guess I would kind of piggyback that back to what I was mentioning a minute ago about the new CBA, because um, because you're right, the the large expiring contract used to be the most tradable thing in the NBA. It's like if you, if you had a, a large expiring uh, Bill Simmons used to have a running bit where he wouldn't even call overpriced players by their name. He would just call them that player's contract because yep. that was the asset. Well, in the new CBA, if you're trading an expiring, that means and 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 you're trading it to a team that wants an expiring that means what you're getting back from them is almost by definition not going to be an expiring mm-hmm. because, you know, that that's what that other team is trying to do is get under under the cap. Well in the Celtics case, last year they were luxury tax offenders. So if they trade their expiring and, and get another guy back with a, a similar size contract, then um they're in the position to while now they're looking at being possibly repeat offenders um but on a much worse team. And so, you know, um, it, it, then the flip side is that, okay, if the Celtics traded him to a team that could absorb the cap hit and, and just give them a trade exception in return, well, why would that team necessarily want, you know, because then the expiring contract doesn't help them at all because they had the, the cap room before. So unless there was a team out there that had a low cap number but was already, you know, competing for a championship, you know, the the, the I guess the point is is, is in this, market, um, Humphreys' big expiring deal maybe isn't quite as lucrative as it used to be
1: yeah the the deal I thought might make some sense, you know, given that uh you know, the the Charlotte Bobcats are looking to make a push in the playoffs they one of their um issues is kind of a lack of a big man to complement Al Jefferson. A deal I thought made would make a lot of sense would be chris Humphreys uh for Ben Gordon and uh, a potentially a number one pick again a swap of expirings um but with the Bobcats getting a player who has more. Value on the court, you know, thinking maybe they would be willing to give up a first-round pick, but I think, you know, the fact that a deal like that didn't happen, I think, underscores one of the other reasons for so much of the the lack of activity at the deadline is first-round picks just seem to be tremendously overvalued right now in, in in the NBA marketplace, and and you know, what effect do you think that has?
0: No, that man, that's an excellent point because you look at it, um, the one team that was kind of in the Celtics' boat as far as being a team that that obviously was not competing for the playoffs this year that made a lot of trades was Philadelphia. We talked about Evan Turner, but they also spent, sent out Spencer Halls and uh, LaVoy Allen, and, you know, like they they moved a lot of players, but really all they got in return was second-round picks. Mm-hmm. You know, they, 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 they weren't getting first-round picks. Even when they moved um, Halls, who was their starting center playing well and legitimately could be the starting center for Cleveland as they make their playoff push. If Veragel continues to struggle. Um, But all they got back was second-round picks. And I think, it's as you mentioned, teams just don't want to give away first-rounders, especially, you know, again, in this new environment, if contracts are shorter and it's going to be more penalty for paying luxury tax, that means that the free agency side of the – Uh, talent acquisition cycle is maybe not going to be as active as it's been in the past, which means that the draft is going to be that much more important. And so, and that kind of, you know, brings it back then to the fact that Boston does have nine first rounders in the next five years. Um, This summer when the big trade was fresh and people were still feeling the pain of of Garnett and, and Pierce no longer being in green, um, Maybe hearing first-round picks, it was a bit of a salve, but it was still kind of a, eh, those picks won't even be any good anyway. You know, I, I, I heard that expressed a lot. Whereas now what we're seeing is teams are holding onto those first-rounders with clutched fists. So the fact that, that Danny was able to, you know, procure so many of them really speaks to, to Boston's rebuild um, being in a good place right now.
1: Yeah, and, you know, given that, uh, you know, there were, I'm sure, a lot of guys who were no doubt pretty anxious leading up to the deadline and several others who were kind of hoping to get moved maybe, uh, you know, now that the dust has settled, what do you think kind of happens the rest of the season?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the the haves and the, the have-nots are, are pretty well established for the most part. Um, the teams, you know... I would say that the the lower third of the NBA, you know, as far as record goes, the the Celtics is the Sixers, the Milwaukee's. Um, I would say their combined winning percentage from here on out is going to be lower than their combined winning percentage from the beginning of the season to now. You know that that you know early on we had, I mean, Philadelphia was one of them teams that. We were surprised, like, oh, my gosh, they're, they've come out and won some games, and, you know, what does this mean? But I think now, um, <laughs> to, to bring back the infamous quote, they are who we thought they were, you know, and, and that's kind of how they're going to be moving forward. And then um, the teams at the top, they were already well-established. You know, one of the, I guess, the fallouts of, of the trade deadline being so slow is that we don't have any people vaulting to the top Mm -hmm. that, you know, that weren't already there. So, I mean, in the East it's Miami and Indiana. Um, You know, I mean, we've had these discussions. You know I still think Brooklyn's in it. Um, But, you know, outside of that, there aren't any uh, other really juggernaut teams. Um, And, and, you know, you've got a handful of teams that, because the East has been so bad, um, you can get into the playoffs under 500. So I think that's opened the door for teams like Cleveland, who was trading for talent um, or Detroit um, or New York to, to still feel like they have a shot. And so I think you might see them make a hard push for 500 for the rest of the season, you know, that we, which might be enough to, to help them sneak into that eighth playoff spot. But, um, you know, other than that, I, I don't see anything like game changing from here on out. What we've seen to this point is pretty close to what we'll be seeing from here on in.
1: Now the Celtics returned from the all-star break and embarked on a West coast trip. They're on two on the trip after last night's loss to the Lakers and head into uh, Sacramento to play the Kings tonight. Does anything stand out to you so far on the trip?
0: Just that kind of what I was saying before that, that Boston has really seemingly settled into being a lottery team. Um, for both good and for ill, you know, early on in the season when, when Stevens came in and he had them playing so hard and and they were really scrapping and they were winning some games. And I mean, heck, they were leading the Atlantic division well into November, maybe even into December. So, you know, I, I remember I wrote an article at one point saying it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for the Celtics to hang around until Ray John Rondo gets healthy and then maybe they make a push to try to, to, to sneak into the playoffs, even though that wasn't really the, you know, so-called plan this year. But, um, you know, Boston started sliding and, and Toronto Toronto kind of took the step that I thought Boston had a chance to take and, and you know, and held on to that. And, and I don't think that was Toronto's plan either. That's why you, you were hearing all those Kyle Lowry trade rumors that <laughs> kind of had to go away because they were like, wait a minute, we're actually winning, you know. Um so, but but I kind of feel like Boston has settled into okay, you know. Um, uh, again, back to those interviews, I even heard Ainge mention that how low the expectations are for the team right now, and you know how that kind of takes some of the pressure off. He was talking about it with respect to Rondo, but it just kind of makes it so that they don't it, they, they don't have to press and that can be a bad thing if it you know starts leading to bad habits or, or or Stevens maybe not being able to keep control of the team as as they continue to lose um so th- that's going to be kind of the challenge and the hurdle that I see for them moving forward for the rest of the year but just the the start of this West Coast trip and i mean the, the fact that they lost to the Lakers and the Lakers are really bad right now so it, it just kind of speaks to me that that this current Celtics team is, is starting to get used to the feel of being a lottery team.
1: Great. Well, thanks, Andre. We're going to uh, now switch over and bring in our guest, Comcast Sportsnet, uh, host of the Celtics pregame live, Kyle Draper. Hey, Kyle, thanks hey for Hey us. Hey, well, how right are you today?
2: today? We're good, good, good. Just uh, watching some college basketball, getting ready for that Celtics game tonight.
1: That's great. Um, hey, uh, you know, the um, – uh, in your interview with Danny Ainge the other day that uh, Celtics fans can view on Comcast SportsNet New England's website, you know one of the comments he made is the Celtics need great players, and kind of the emphasis on there was was plural. Do you think Ainge feels that you know that they've got even one great player on the roster right now?
2: Oh, I, I think he does believe that Rajon Rondo is a great player. Let's be honest, mm-hmm. guys. Rondo is a four-time All-Star. He's uh, one of the top five point guards in the league when healthy. He was playing at that level when Pierce and Garnett were here, and so I I, honestly think Eddie believes in Rajon Rondo and his talent on the floor. Uh, When he mentioned star players, it it got me thinking. To be honest with you, that in this league, you need star players to win. We know that. Tommy Heinsohn disagrees with me. He seems seems to think that winning brings about star players. I, I seem to say, well, you know, star players, you know, have it inside of them. And then, of course, they get on the big stage. And, and so they, they need star players. And, and I think you need more than one. You know, you, you mm-hmm. may need two or three to compete with the Miami, the Indiana. the Indiana has, uh, you know, a couple of star players. You look at the All-Stars on their team. And so that's that, uh, definitely what you need in today's NBA. You need star players, and in my opinion, you need more than one. So that
0: that's actually a, a interesting thought, Um So to to jump in a little bit, you mentioned that you believe Rondo to be a star player, and you believe that Danny believes it, and and he was saying uh, similar in that interview with you. But there's a difference between an all-star and a superstar. Is Rondo an all-star, or can he be the superstar of the team? And if he is not the superstar, um, how can we get one?
2: That's a good question, you know, trying to differentiate, differentiate between an all-star and a superstar. For instance, is Carmelo Anthony a superstar? And if he is, what has he ever won? See, so you can be a superstar and still not win. Is Rajon Rondo on the same level as a Carmelo? I don't know. You know, I think of Carmelo as a superstar, but then I don't put him in the same class as a LeBron or a Kevin Durant or a Kobe Bryant. And, and so that, that's an interesting question. Rajon Rondo is an all-star with superstar potential. I still think he's in his prime right now. Today's his birthday. He still has plenty of years left in his prime. And so I think he's right at the cusp of being a superstar. But to me, in order to be a superstar, guys, you have to prove it in the postseason. You know, there are a lot of stars in the league. You know, you look at teams around the league, there are a number of stars. LaMarcus Aldridge is a star, but is he a superstar? Kevin Love is a star. Is he a superstar? How you get to that superstar level, and I think maybe this is what Tommy was talking to me about the other day, is you prove that in the postseason. And so, you know, unless you're LeBron James, who was a superstar right when he came out, I mean, I think, you know, it, it takes some time to get to that level, and you do that in the postseason. But that being said, like I said, Rondo has the potential to be a superstar, but so do these, some of these young guys coming out in this draft as well. And so that's what I think Danny will do, so keep Rondo, So have a lottery pick, hopefully get, you know, a top five, you know, one of those blue chippers that everybody's talking about, and then also make some moves by way of uh, trades this offseason to bring in another, you know, star-type player, an all-star caliber-type player to, to help balance out the team.
1: Hey uh, Kyle, you know, given that it seems like, you know,
0: you,
1: you seem to think that that Rondo is absolutely part of the kind of this future uh contending team that that Danny Ainge is building. I, I know there's a undercurrent in the local and national media that, that Rondo isn't part of the, the the long-term picture. Where do you think that idea comes from?
2: Well, you know what, Rondo's reputation as you guys know hasn't always been the best, you know, he, he's sort of a now he's uh you know, sort of a hard guy to coach. I mean, we've saw, I've seen it with Doc Rivers. I covered Rondo at Kentucky with Tubby, and you know, he had Tubby hair turning gray every single day, and so he's a hard guy to deal with, you know. But I will say, what I've seen from Rondo this season, by all accounts, he's been, you know, right on the same page with Brad Stevens. Mind you, it's only been, it's only been what twelve games of Rondo's season so far, and I heard you guys mention what happens when the losing really starts. You know string off eight, nine, ten losses in a row or something like that, you keep plummeting down in the standings. How will Rondo react? Um, And and so I think a lot of people are basing that off of reputation. And when you look Mm -hmm. at the league right now, too, guys, there are so many good point guards in this league right now. and, And the question is, do you even need a star point guard to win in the NBA? You look at Miami. You, you you look at some of these other teams challenging, Indiana, they don't have a star point guard. And so uh, I'm, I'm trying to wonder how, how much point guard is play is valued in the NBA, because when you look at previous champions, the point guard really hasn't been the catalyst, except maybe Tony Parker in recent years.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing is, is it that you don't need a point card or is that, that there are so few of them that, you know, teams are kind of forced to adapt and, and win without them? But uh, that's an interesting question. Um, kind of going back to some of the comments Ainge has made, you know, uh, in your interview, it said he expects the Celtics to be a good team again uh, a year after next at the latest, and that would kind of place it in the 2015-16 season. Um, you know, when do you think it is that they make the leap, and could it really be next season or the season after that? And and, and what do you think is going to kind of be the catalyst for, for the leap, or do you think it'll be a more gradual, uh, you know, evolution back to contending status?
2: I mean, when you talk about contending for an NBA championship, I still think the are about two full seasons away from that. That mm-hmm. being said, I think we'll see towards the end of next year. If things go according to Danny Ainge's plan, like I said, I feel like they'll try to get one of these young studs in the draft, you know, a top five, top six pick. And then they'll also make trade this offseason for an all-star caliber player who wants to get out of this situation. I don't know if that's Kevin Love, uh, you know, some of these other guys they have mentioned out here, uh, you know, Carmelo. I don't know. But I do know that's part of the plan because you want to get a, a three-headed monster, I guess, in the league right now. Start with Rondo, drafted young, up-and-coming, you know, blue chipper, one of these top five, top six guys. And then you add another, you know, legitimate, kind of all-star piece to it, and then you're talking, all right, give this team some time to gel, and so Danny mentioned that he was hoping to see hope from this team, from this organization this time next year, and I'm along the same lines. If I'm a Celtics fan, you know, the beginning of next year, probably you'll, you'll take your bumps, but by the end of next season, I want to see you know this team trending in the right direction.
0: So, yeah, I guess to that end, um, because, you know, I- If you've been listening to this show so far, you know I've been talking about watching that interview that you did with Ainge and really just kind of taking it to the lab and and, and really thinking about it. And so based on, you know, um, one of the questions or one of the the things you talked about was Brad Stevens and, and his input. And Ainge made this interesting analogy about how he sees himself as the assistant coach to Stevens, um, Mm -hmm. but he trusts him to make the decision while Stevens is his assistant GM and that he was going to lean on the fact that Stevens had been recruiting some of these blue chip guys and and, and maybe even has been in their living rooms and maybe has the feel for who they are as people. So if we're we're thinking that that we're going to get – a foundation piece or two out of this draft. Is it better for them to wait to to take next year and allow the, the young players to kind of grow in to being potential stars on a team that still has low expectations and then perhaps make that trade to get the third or, or, or the main blue chip guy um, the following year? Or do you think it matters if they start – uh, pulling in good veterans as, as soon as this offseason, um, do you think that would have a, a negative effect on on the growth rate of, of these uh, young superstars we're hoping are coming to the team uh, in the draft?
2: That's a good question because you, you don't want to stunt the growth of a of a young superstar. I mean, uh, this is just a total hypothetical. You know, there's nothing to this. But let's say a guy like Carmelo Anthony is on the team, and then you one of these young you know, stud, superstar, young up-and-comers? You know, how much will will Carmelo defer to these young guys, you know, and let these young guys be who they are? Uh, That's a good question. I don't know. You know, I think Danny Ainge is all about acquiring talent, and so you you worry about how they mesh. That's the thing. When you have a great player, a young player, I don't care who it is, they they eventually will become great. I mean, they won't take a backseat to anybody, and so – you look at Paul George. I mean, in, in Indiana, you know, once he got his opportunity, he, he sees that. Sure, Granger got hurt and things like that, but he sees that. And so, when you look at young players, whether it's DeMarcus Cousins or, or whoever you want to mention, you know, Kimball Walker or whatever, usually when they come in, they have the attitude of, you know, we're not talking about a, a bottom half of uh, of the first round pick. We're talking about a guy that's used to being a the man on his team, and so. And, and usually, guys, when you have a player like that that's used to being a man on his team, his confidence is very high. And so I, I don't think, you know, whoever they get at the lottery of his pick, the top five top six pick. I, I think, you know, the Celtics organization knows that, you know, Londo and, and this guy really is the future. You may get a free agent to come in, but whoever you get free agent-wise, guys, I don't think will be a young guy in his prime. I don't think it will be, you know, a 22-year-old that still has a lot to prove You know, it'll be a a veteran who's, you know, maybe 28, 29, 30, who has maybe three or four, you know, high-level years left on, on, on his career.
1: Yeah, you mentioned free agency and one of the things that stood out in the interview to me was Ainge talking about free agency being a viable option to improve the team. Yet there's a perception out there among fans and even the media that, that players don't want to come to Boston in, in free agency. Um how much do you think Ainge is really banking on on free agency as part of, you know, the, the, the reconstruction of this team and and what do you think their chances are of signing a, you know, a contributor or or even an impact guy uh such as a, a Kevin Love via free agency? Well,
2: I think there's something to that in, in terms of, you know, uh, attracting basically an unrestricted free agent to come to Boston. When you look at the the, the last free agent in this crime to come to the city of Boston, you've got to go back a ways. Let's be honest. Let's call it what mm-hmm. it is. And so I, I think, you know, with today's NBA, guys do want to go to LA. Guys do want to go to Miami. Guys do want to go to Chicago in New York, and that kind of thing. So I think that's a real challenge. That's why I think the kind of trade that the the, the kind of superstar Danny Ainge will get or a young, you know, a a, a bordering all-star that he'll get is somebody in the final year of his deal, you know, let's say Kevin Love. And and I don't know if that will happen. I'm sure, you know, Celtics fans are dreaming that. But that (laughs) are in the final year of their deal, and that Danny Ainge can convince to resign. Because not only do they have trade shift guys coming up, they also have you know uh, uh cap space out the wazoo coming up in, in a couple <laughs> years so I, I think that's the way he's to try to approach it you know get better in the draft this season and then try to swing a deal whether this off season or at the trade deadline
1: yeah, I think fans tend to fall in love with the potential of uh, unnamed draft picks and and think, you know, that, hey, we're going to get a bunch of these young guys and they're all going to kind of develop into superstar. But it seems pretty clear that Angel's that play here is to collect assets as a way of positioning himself should an opportunity come up to make one of those deals. You know, I don't know – who it is that's going to be available, I don't think anybody does know. I just know that, you know, every year or so, the, you know, a name that you two years ago wouldn't have thought is going to be on the market ends up being on the market, and I think that's that's kind of the play here. Yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, think about it. LaMarcus Aldridge was going to be one of those guys, you know, and so they Portland finally got it back together, and Dame Lillard has proven to be an all-star. But LaMarcus mm-hmm. Aldridge was being talked about as one of those disgruntled stars, you know, that that was looking for another opportunity elsewhere. And so I think, like you said, there's always that guy, you know, right near the trade deadline or that pops up is during the final year of his deal. And, is, you know, man, maybe the team should trade him before losing him for nothing. And I think that's what Danny Ainge is going to try to, try to bank on.
1: What do you think is going to happen the rest of the season? Do you think uh, Stevens is going to have the team, you know, still out there competing in every game, you know, especially when they they become increasingly meaningless? Uh, Do you see any more kind of roster activity, any any buyouts uh, kind of looming on the horizon?
2: I don't see any buyouts. I mean, the the only guy you would, you know, think about buying out in my eyes would be uh, Gerald Wallace, And, and do you want to cut that, you know, $18 $18 million check or whatever it would be. And, and I don't think Gerald Wallace would even go for a buyout. You know, people talk about Chris Humphreys. I know the Celtics, really we do like Chris Humphreys. And so no need to buy him out. And so I, I just think what well, we'll see the rest of the season is the young guys continuing to get major minutes to Kelly Olenek, to Jared Sellingers. And I, I do expect this team to compete night in and night out. Uh, you know, that's one thing we've seen from them, even last night against the Lakers, you know, you got two bad teams, but at least the Celtics, you know, they may not have executed hard, they they may not have, you know, (laughs) played with the same energy, but it was a very interesting game last night, and so I think we'll see a lot more of that throughout the season. One thing to keep an eye on is Rajon Rondo, because he's the only player Mm -hmm. on this squad that's really used to winning. You know, he he won, you know, pretty much the last six years of, of his career, and now the you know, struggle this year. Keep an eye
0: on that, but I think the guys will still play hard. Yeah, um, one of the, the the things that I've been thinking about, you know, you you were talking about um, free agent acquisitions or or the draft as the means of getting that superstar. But Danny Ainge's track record, you know, uh, at least it, it, his one for one was to gather folks together and trade them, not in a sign-in trade, but to trade for an established superstar player. And and the way he was able to make that work was he had his Paul Pierce, but then he developed his Al Jefferson um, and and made that the centerpiece of of the move to bring the superstar back. So if we make the analogy, is Rayon Rondo now Paul Pierce, or is he Al Jefferson? Is he the one that stays or the one that you move? (laughs) And if he's Paul Pierce, then who's the new Al Jefferson? Is he on the team now, or or do we still have to get to that step?
2: Well, that's a good question. But, I, I, honestly, I think Rajon Rondo at this stage is more Paul Pierce. The problem if you do trade a Rajon Rondo is you have to be sure to get something back, you know, an all-star caliber player. I don't want draft picks. I don't want, you know, guys, you know, who may have a tremendous upside or potential. I mean, you're giving up one of the top, you know, 20 players in the league for, for scraps, if you do that, and, and unless Rondo is just, you know, totally going off the reservation and causing all sorts of problems and you feel like you need to get rid of him, I mean, I still think Rondo is a valuable player on your team. So, for that matter, I would put him in the Paul Pierce category. But let's not forget, Paul Pierce was almost traded, too, before you got KG and uh, Ray Allen. Pierce was looking to be traded if, if they didn't get any, you know, talent in here. And so... No matter who you are, you can be traded. And, and so not saying Rondo is going to be here forever, you know, if the right people comes along. You know, that Chris Paul a couple of years ago, if that would have, you know, if Danny could have got Chris Paul, Rondo was out of here. He talked, you know, saying that's really, you know, the, the deal that, you know, he really talked about when it came to Rajon Rondo. That deal had some substance to it. So I think Rondo is more Paul Pierce at this stage, but he can quickly become Al Jefferson, I guess. And and, and Paul Pierce could have became Al Jefferson, you know what I mean? He could have been dealt. So who is Al Jefferson on this team? Do you look at a Jeff Green? I I still think some NBA team out there will take on a Jeff Green and and, and think, you know, that they could turn Jeff Green into this 20-point per game scorer. And so I eventually expect Jeff Green to be moved. you got Brandon Bass, whose stock has increased in his time here with Boston. Not to the level of an Al Jefferson, let's say. But Bass has proven to be a guy that could fit in pretty much with any system, and so I think he'll be moved. With that being said, outside of that, I think they hang on to the Schellinger, the, the Kelly Olynyk, that kind of thing. Look out for Avery Bradley too this off season. Uh, what, what happens with him? Is it a sign and trade with him, where he goes elsewhere, or do you uh, re-sign him on a qualifying offer, or, or do you sign him to a to a multi-year deal? That'll be a, a key question for the Celtics this off season too.
1: Yeah, you mentioned guys like Olynyk, Sullinger, and Bradley. Is is there anyone on the roster right now that, that you think could develop into one of these, uh, you know, impact players to, you know, alongside Rondo, kind of serve as the, the 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 real core of a, a contending team?
2: Well, you know, we've seen the flashes from Sullinger. I mean, we've we've mm-hmm. seen him put up twenty five and fifteen and things like that. But he's also regressed a little bit the last few games. His numbers haven't been as great. I'm sure he had a double double last night. But, you know, we've seen glimpses from him. Kelly Olenek, I think, is a nice player, but I don't think he'll ever be that All-Star type player. It was funny. I was talking with Tommy the other night, and he actually <laughs> compared Kelly Olenek to Kevin Love. You know, he said, "Draves, you know the one player that can compare that has the potential to be a Kevin Love on this team? I thought he was going to Jared Sellinger.
1: Sellinger, yeah. Kelly
2: Olenek. Right. I think it's more Sellinger. Selinger's starting to hit the outside shot, I think. He'll improve on that if that's what Stevens wants him to continue to do. And so I I, I think Bellinger can be that player, you know, a a key piece on a championship team. But let's not forget, he's only in his second season. Last season was cut short. And so technically, you know, this would be like the start of his second season when you add up the games or whatnot. And so I I think he has the potential. Outside of that, guys, Avery Bradley to me is what he is. I, I think Avery Bradley's putting up a whole bunch of shots this season. Sure, he's averaging a nice 14 points or whatever it is, but I don't think he's ever that twenty four game score. I think Selinger is a guy you can look at as a twenty ten kind of guy in the league.
1: Great. Well, hey, Kyle, I want to thank you for joining us today. And, folks, you can catch Kyle on Celtics' pregame live on Comcast Sportsnet. Kyle, where can folks follow you on Twitter? Yeah, hit
2: me up on Twitter. Kyle Draper TV is my Twitter handle. And throughout the Celtics games, make sure you hit us up, hashtag if We answer tweets and things like that. Tonight our show begins at 9.30, and I'll be with uh, Hall of Famer Dave Cowan. So it should be good stuff tonight, guys. Oh,
1: yeah, that'll definitely be great. I'll be uh, tuning in. Well, thanks, Kyle, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on the uh, show again sometime soon. All
2: right, guys. Thanks for having me on. You too.
1: <laughs> hey, Andre, great stuff.
0: Uh, yep. Uh I really enjoyed uh, 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 talking with him, especially about that interview with Danny Ainge.
1: Yeah, that was really eye-opening. Between the interview that uh, Ainge did with with Kyle, and then one on WEEI earlier in the week, it's you know he was hinting pretty strongly that there would be um, significant moves this summer, at least on the EEI interview. I mean, do you do you think the potential is out there, even this coming off season, to kind of add another significant piece alongside Rondo, and kind of you know maybe not vault the, the team into title contention, but get them back kind of squarely into the playoff run again?
0: I mean, I do think the potential is there, and and I I checked out that interview as well. Um, And one of the things that we didn't just bring up with Kyle, um, because he kept talking about getting one of the young studs out of this draft, is in that other interview, uh, Danny Point Blake said this draft is overrated, that that, that there was a lot of AAU hype for the high school players, Mm -hmm. um, but the college was a big jump from high school, and the reality was kind of setting in, and that he just didn't see – um, not only a LeBron, but he didn't even see a Kevin Durant or a, Bre- a Greg Oden type player in this draft um, as, as far as guys that you think would come in and really be the man and, and really move the, the needle like that. So with that as a backdrop, with that question that you you just asked, and, and I was kind of angling towards it with, with Kyle, um, you know, I don't know if we 100% should expect the Celtics to keep that top pick. You know, to 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 be bringing in the next superstar through the draft. Um, I really wouldn't be shocked if 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 Danny did package that top pick with you know um, some of the other pieces that he has. With you know, with the top pick is is the the, the main honey um, to try to bring in that second second big player. You know, to to have Rondo and another established NBA vet um, as as your two star players. And, and then now the guys on the team that are either young guys or glue guys, they maybe they make a bit more sense on, on that type of roster. Um, I, I wouldn't put it past them. You know, I, I was talking about the whole uh, you had to have a Paul Pierce and an Al Jefferson to make, make you know, to, to vault into contention. So if Rondo really is Pierce, maybe, you know, maybe the draft pick is Al Jefferson. You know, um, we talked about how valuable they are. So, um, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the splash happen this summer as opposed to next. But if it does happen, I think that um, lowers the probability that they're banking on that, that draft pick to, to be a significant uh, part of the future.
1: Is there anybody on the roster now that who, who would surprise you uh, the most to still be on the roster next season that's currently on the roster now?
0: Um, surprised the most, I guess I would say Gerald Wallace. I mean, I think it, it just, you know, there was a, uh, was it you? Was it, I just read an article and I think it might've been yours. There was, you know, talking about how, uh, everyone wants Gerald Wallace to not be on the Celtics. The yeah. Celtics don't want him. He doesn't want to be here. You know, um, it, it just is going to take some time to make it happen. But, it, you know, with this year being off of his contract, his contract was ridiculous, but with each year gone, it gets that much shorter. Um, so I, I would say I would think he's the one that's least likely to to be here when when we're talking about it at this time next year.
1: Um, you know, you mentioned the draft. Is there a guy that, that's kind of caught your eye so far that, uh, you know, kind of given where the Celtics are picking either in the, you know, the top five or six picks or kind of in that, that 10 to 20 range that, you know, you think would be, would be a great fit for the team.
0: Yeah. So it's funny. I have to give the caveat that, um, I'm married with three kids, so (laughs) I had to choose NBA or NCAA, you know, wife's not letting me watch both every night. So, um, I, the, the NCAA players that I'm most familiar with are the big, big name guys. Um, and of those, I would have to say that, and I'm going to butcher his name, but Joel Embiid. And Embiid. Embiid, yeah. Bede. I would have to say, yeah, he's he's the one that fits the best because he's a big guy. You know, Jabari Parker is big, but I think he's a big that wants to, you know, be more in the 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 Uh, stretch-four type of big, you know, wants to to have the face-up game, whereas Embiid, you could put him in next to Sullinger because, you know, let's face it, Sullinger is really too small to play center in the NBA. He's playing center, but that's not necessarily um, his best fit, just athletically. And now that he's developing that three, you know, you could put him next to a true big man and and, and really really make some hay. So I I would say um, I would hope that Embiid is the one that the Celtics have a shot at.
1: Yeah, certainly. If Sullinger is part of the future of this team, you know you're going to need a big that's a you know serious rim protector playing next to him uh, there. If if you know he's going to be able to function kind of in that that four spot, kind of given his uh, relative lack of size. So, hey, it's time for our segment around the NBA in five. And so for the next five minutes, we're going to uh, touch on some quick hitting subjects. First one, LeBron James broken nose the other night, courtesy of Serge Ibaka. Did you see it? What did you think?
0: I saw it, I thought it was interesting. I thought the whole dynamic of the game was interesting because Kevin Durant has been crowned by so many people this year and it seemed like from the opening tap LeBron really wanted to establish that hey I'm still the man and it was awfully ironic that in the game where he is establishing that, you know, he's the dominant player on the dominant team. Um uh, a, a member of the Thunder does manage to lay a mouth bleeding on the floor. I don't think it has big long-term ramifications, but uh, the symbolism was kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, I definitely like the chippiness on the, the, the part of the uh, Thunder, although I don't think it was on purpose. And while I would love to give LeBron some grief for not going back into the game at that point, uh, it was, the game was pretty much out of hand at that point, so I think we can give him a pass. Uh, Peter Vesey reporting that he expects Kevin Love to ask for a deal this off season. Do you agree? Do you think he, uh, uh, you know, up pushing the the Timberwolves and Flip Saunders for trade and if so where do you think he winds up
0: it's interesting I'm not the biggest fan of Peter Vesey as far as you know just watching him as a reporter through the years so like normally if he says left I say right <laughs> um but that being said um it does make a lot of sense for for Kevin Love from his perspective to want to move on um he's put up the numbers he's, he's you know, getting some of the hardware, the All-NBA nods, the All-Star nods, but they're not going to the playoffs. And, you know, it's starting to look like they're just not going to be a playoff team. And um, as he follows in the footsteps of another Kevin, um, Garnett, who was able to bring the team to the playoffs for a while, but eventually, you know, he moved on before he got his glory. Um, I could imagine Kevin Love being like, you know what, The, the time is now. And um, if he moves on, I mean, the obvious choice, he's a, he's a California boy. He's an L.A. boy. So the, the obvious, uh, I would think, destination for him might be the Lakers. Now, I don't know that the Lakers have anything to give for him. So maybe that throws a monkey wrench in that. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if uh, this is the, the, the year that the love, whether it's publicly or just under the table to the GM says, yeah, it, 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 it's time to move on.
1: And we earlier we talked about the Pacers deal where they picked up Evan Turner at the trade deadline for Danny Granger and apparently Granger not very happy moving on from Indiana. Do you think he looks to get back at the Pacers uh the Pacers by signing with the Heat if he gets bought out?
0: Um I can see that. I mean Danny Granger from the time that, that he was drafted, you know, I remember uh part of his scouting report coming in was that he was a fiery guy and 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 you talked earlier about how um he might have the mentality to to go at LeBron, even if his physical isn't there. So, um, so yeah, I, I can see that as a little bit of a motivation. I don't think that's a primary motivation. I think at this point in his career, you know, he's almost a decade in, he really wants to win. So I think he's now barred from going back to the Pacers so he could go to the Heat or to the Spurs or to any of the other really good teams because he wants to win first. And if he gets to, you know, jab a little needle in the paces on the way, you know, so much the better.
1: I think he would be a perfect fit in Oklahoma City, and I think he would put them uh, in the driver's seat for, for the title this year. Uh, on a similar note, Kobe Bryant tweeted he was not cool with the Lakers trading Steve Blake, one of his uh, good friends on the team. Is uh, Kobe starting to put a lot of pressure on uh, GM uh, Mitch Kupchak?
0: He is, because he's essentially – I mean, I think we talked about this um, in one of our previous sessions – his very presence puts pressure on Kupchak, yes, but also on a Junior Bus, you know, the, the new owner, um, because Kobe is such a huge entity I- I- in L.A., and he's won so much that he's kind of bulletproof that, that essentially he can say and do whatever he wants, and it's incumbent on be it Kupchak or be it Bus to put a team around him, because he can kind of, you know, make the case that, like, hey, you know, if you put something here, then, then then I'll make it win. I don't think that's true, especially now, but, you know, I think the perception of that is true. So um, I don't think, honestly, that trading Blake makes a huge difference in, in Kobe's life and, and in the, the professional future of the Lakers. Um, but I do think that um, this was a, a chance for him to, to – uh, say something and establish his mouthpiece, and, and he took it. And maybe, you know, with all the Dwight Howard stuff last year, uh, maybe he wanted to have, to take this chance to to really be vocal for a teammate in a way that maybe he wasn't last year with Howard.
1: Yeah, I think folks who assume the Lakers are going to be able to rebuild and attract the major free agents uh, just because they're LA are forgetting about the dual incompetence of Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss, and I think that's going to hamstring them uh, a little bit uh, down the road. But we shall see. Well, that's all the time we have for this oh, week's no. edition of Celtics Beat. Yes. Music, music for Celtics Beat was provided by Carlos Andres Mesa, Astravet and Steph LeGretteau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. We'd like to thank our guest, Kyle Draper, and my co-host, Andre Snellings for our executive producer, Larry H. Russell. I'm Rich Conti. I'll see you next Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.